0: Welcome to Acro Capital's in-house podcast where we have guests in the startup scene from all over Africa. Today we've got on Julian Hurst. Julian is a director at Where's My Transport in Cape Town and London. Where's My Transport works in emerging markets around the world using data and technology to improve the experience of using informal public transport for billions of people. The company recently closed its Series A round attracting investment from among others Google and Toyota Tsusho. Julian also has a long history of supporting startups and small businesses as an advisor and coach. For the uninitiated, this means that he brings a little grey hair to the table when brilliant energetic young companies need wisdom and experience to develop their business and scale up. That's how he was introduced to Where Is My Transport before eventually joining the board and moving to Cape Town. Julian has coached and advised small and medium-sized companies in the UK, the US, France and South Africa. In our discussion, we cover many topics, including the advisor startup relationship and how to make it work for you, pitching for funding and for new business, why your choice of co founders really matters, why you should break up the boys' club early, and the fundamental importance of storytelling. Two things Julian said particularly stand out for me as an entrepreneur, you are your brand, it matters how you show up every time. And I've seen people who are unrelated to the business altogether in two minutes, do a better job of telling the story than the founder who's been working on it for three years. Entrepreneurs who learn how to capture an audience with a good story will always have an advantage. It's fundamental. Just a quick bit of housekeeping. Um, is giving away tickets to the SA Innovation Summit, which is the biggest startup event in Africa. Um, Yeah, so if you can give us a review on uh, iTunes and then email Info at acro.co.za with um the nickname that you use to write the review and leave FRZ1 in the uh subject of the email. Uh we'll get back to you. And the first few people that get that we get, get back to, or the first few people that do the reviews, uh get the tickets. Also, um on a personal note, this was my favorite podcast I've ever recorded. Um yeah, it was just, you know, uh a discussion between uh, an informal discussion between someone who has the experience and someone who wants the experience. Um, and Julian had lots of time. I had lots of time. It wasn't sort of uh, tightly scheduled and rushed. And I find from, uh, just the way people talk about things informally, that's how you gain perspective on something quicker than reading it in a textbook or reading it in a autobiography where it's much more formal. Um, yeah, and with that, I bring you Julian Hurst.
1: So I, I am also an entrepreneur um, by nature, I think. Um, uh, the I have a business partner in France who refers to me as a serial entrepreneur, but I'm not. Um, but it's important to have been an entrepreneur and to be, by nature, entrepreneurial, um, creative, risk-averse, the, the the components that you need in order to be a... Uh, at least a confident entrepreneur, if not a successful one, in order to understand how to work with entrepreneurs and help. Um, so at 47, with 25 years of uh, crazy behind me, um, doing all kinds of different things, um, it's... You're that much-needed grey hair at the board meeting. I'm one of those things, yeah. So there's a lot of much-needed grey hair, I think, with our entrepreneurs... At any age at any stage of development it is important to to introduce people into the mix who have experience who are intelligent who are articulate and who have fallen in the holes or been involved in businesses that have fallen in those holes so that you can benefit from that experience mm. like you're I saying, think it's crazy when uh, young businesses don't take advantage of that kind of advice and learn
0: from others mistakes
1: yeah ideally yes learn from it but listen to it whether you decide to to go left or go right based on a council of people telling you these have been our experiences this is what happened to us this is what we learned you act the way you want to act but ignoring not, not even ignoring uh, f- N- n- electing not to take advantage of that experience when it's freely available, um, I think is crazy. The first, uh, I remember the first time I was asked to be a non-exec advisor to a business, in exchange for money—not a lot of money. Um, I remember thinking, "Good Lord, why would you ask me? Uh, I have no idea what I'm doing on my best day. Um, I, you know, <laughs> I have a string of failures behind me, and I, you know, and, but but I." I have lots of energy. I'm indefatigable. I'm happy to take on the new thing. Uh, I'm. I'm. It's very hard to to keep me down. Um. But I wouldn't consider myself wildly successful, and therefore wise to the point where you'd want me sitting in on an advisory board. Uh, and this was about ten years ago. I was asked to, to do this for the first time, and I agreed partly because it was a friend who asked me, um, and partly because. Yeah, I was curious. It's like, okay, I, I, I have an ego like everybody. And I was curious. It's like, well, you know, how, how valuable am I at the table? Uh, <laughs> and I remember sitting in the first, in the first one of these uh, advisory board sessions. Actually, it, was, it was only me with the exec team in the first one. We built an advisory board after that. I helped them do that. But... Um, and I was like a child. It was like they, they would talk about a problem and I'd be like, oh, my God, I know that one. Like, I know the answer to that one. Oh, yeah. um, and I felt like I was sitting back in the classroom and I knew all the answers. Uh, and it was great because then I would start saying, well, okay, look, I, I've been here before. Um, I don't know exactly what you should do, but give me more information and I can tell you what not to do. I can certainly tell mm-hmm. you what not to do and it was a revelation uh, that suddenly i was valuable uh, in these situations where i considered i was still learning and i still am right with yeah. where is my transport we're still learning we learn every day every day is a school day every day is a school day yeah. um but I, I realized 10 or so years ago now, and that was, in fact, how I met Devon. at Whereas My Transport. A friend of mine uh, was working with Microsoft at the time. Devon uh, was, uh, Microsoft was an investor in Devon early on with Whereas My Transport. And they connected us, and Devon was looking for network and experience and some gray hair uh, in London. And I was in London, and we sat down, and uh, we hit it off like that. Uh, it was great, um, and um, and I was involved in a kind of non-exec advisory friend to Devon. You know, how, how can yeah. how can I help you by telling you all the things you shouldn't do? Um, and um, uh, until he asked me to to, to come here and, and be part of the the mission, be part of the, the story full time. Um, but yeah, for a couple of years before I came down, uh, I spent time with Devon, and that was my job uh, with him. Uh, Again, okay, I wasn't paid for it, but uh, it was something that we we would sit down every four weeks or so, every six weeks or so. So, and we'd have a conversation, uh, and about you know this is what this is what just happened. And I'm like, oh my god, that happened to me once. Uh, or listen, let me call a friend, or let me get get some people together who can who can help us answer that question. And that's what an advisory board is. Uh, it's experienced people who yeah who 've made those mistakes who 've fallen in those holes, and, and at the very least they know how to walk around them mm. uh, and, and, and prevent you falling in them. One of the barriers which always surprises me is young companies are always panic about spending that money um, a lot of it 's free by the way, right so a lot, a lot of people will just if your mission is right and you know how to tell the right story, and you have a compelling you have a compelling case for being a rocket ship for somebody to give their time and their experience and their energy to you so um,
0: i.e. either a a really good cause or a rocket ship people want to be part of that
1: and it can be more human than that it could just be about you or it could be about your founders or it could be about your mission it doesn't need to be saving the world it could be something very personal right? it could be something that that resonates particularly with a certain kind of person who is looking to do a bit of good a lot of people um, at a certain stage uh, in London I was in London for a long time, and everybody suddenly started becoming trustees on, on for charities. Uh, that happened. <laughs> that seemed to be. So, it's like when people start having kids, suddenly everyone's having kids, and then. Uh, uh, oh, but
0: when you buy a white certain, certain car stage, then everyone else has yeah, it too. Yeah, a certain
1: stage in 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 our in our development, I guess. All of a sudden, I just knew loads of people who were who were starting to sit on the the board of trustees for charities. It's like, oh, Okay, maybe I should be doing that too, um, and so. Um, yeah, I lost my thread.
0: That's there. very honest. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> very honest of you. You know what, yeah. what you're talking about earlier. Like, um, I find that that kind of relationship that w- with that founder, um, Devin, Did you say? Mm. Um, it's kind of like me and Jason. Like, um, I mean, I, I don't have all the operational experience, and he has much more than me. But um, I play devil's advocate a lot for him. Yeah. As a short seller, I'm always looking at the negative, you know, and Jason is always looking at, you know, the positive. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: Look, there's a there's an alchemy there, right? Just like in a friendship or a relationship or in a in a in a band Um, Yeah, again, I I warned you many of my analogies are musical but yeah yeah. um, Having worked with bands and put bands together and uh, watched the evolution of a band um, and The evolution of any kind of relationship and the evolution of a business It's so similar Um, the way you the the choices I think one of the, the early choices that a lot of entrepreneurs make poorly is the choice of partners and founders it's very important yeah it's, it's super important in killer
0: business the first it's five super people important
1: um think think very very carefully about that and again take advice because somebody on the outside of the relationship will be able to call certain things that you won't see in the relationship uh, that you ignore at your peril right whether again whether you decide to act on them or not is your business it sounds like my mum my
0: <laughs> sorry it sounds like my mom telling, telling me about my relationships you know of
1: course like, but that's what it is right the, the, it's the same thing these are relationships but Ma- they're very important relationships in
0: the beginning I mean I've had girlfriends when my mum is like okay, I don't know so-and-so very well, but I'm going to tell you at the beginning, mm. this and this and this and this and this, yeah. you know what I mean,
1: yeah.
0: are factors. Yeah. And then she gets to know the person, and then she shuts up, you know, which is yeah. amazing. But yeah. th- that outside of perspective.
1: Yeah. You know? and, and when it's your mum telling you, uh, you don't listen because that's your job, right? It's her job to tell you, and it's her <laughs> job to know that you won't listen, and it's your job not to listen and to be reckless and to learn for yourself. No, no, I listen to my mum. <laughs> That that equation should be different if you're an entrepreneur, uh, a founder of a business. You should listen. Uh, Again, pick your your advisors carefully. Um, And uh, something else which, again, always surprised me, the very first advisory board uh, I was involved in building, we were very clear that the advisors are useful for as long as they're useful and when they're not, there will be no awkwardness. The mm. business has grown beyond where I can be useful. Yeah, and yeah. so now you should roll someone else in and roll me out. Um, and so we developed their, I think they call it a rolling advisory board, but those are super effective. Um, and again, with the right experience, the right, um, more experienced voice in the conversation, it's possible to to get away with that. Again, yeah, I've worked with a lot of younger people, super smart, super energetic, great story, great business idea, great business sense. Um, On their worst day, they can outthink me on my best, Um, but they're missing that experience. They're missing, I remember the very first conversation I had putting that board together where the founder I was working with, it was in London, Was scared about going to experienced people, people 10, 20 years, uh, his senior and saying, look, I only want you for as long as you're useful. When you're, when I'm done with you, I'm done. Um, I have no problem having that conversation. It's, it's easier for me to have that conversation for all kinds of reasons. Um, and those are the sorts of things that you should be using your non-exec advisors for um, Mm -hmm. is to, yeah, it's the weight of that experience. Um, the, their ability to navigate things, to negotiate things so um, that you maybe don't have.
0: Primarily, um, what, what's in it for these advisors? Advisor shares or just getting to know people in you know, pipeline, deal flow? like.
1: So the most generous of non-exec advisors that I have ever worked with uh, or alongside or actually have helped me and companies that I've worked with... Um, the most generous are usually the most successful and and i don't mean that in the sense that they give their their time away for free or they give their their knowledge away for free because they can afford to right because they made their money it's not about the the price tag um i think there's a there's a there's a a decent amount of you know if you made it to the top don't forget to send the elevator back down i think they're genuinely um i think the the I feel like that I feel like if I've learned something and I can I can pass that on then I should because somebody helped me um, And I, I don't think you can discount that it's I, I, I I'm a much more cynical person than that uh, and I, I want to be more cynical, but I've seen too much of that to discount it Yeah, yeah. Um, we have an advisor working with us right now who is a remarkable remarkable man um, and yeah, I'm constantly surprised and 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 hugely grateful when he picks up the phone when I call uh, and he'll give me an hour of his time or two hours of his time. He doesn't need to, um, but he believes. He believes in us. He believes in our story. Uh, and I know how that feels, uh, again, at a completely different scale, right? This, this, this gentleman is uh, extraordinarily experienced, powerful, uh, much older than I am. Um, but yeah, I know how he feels And so I think that's one of the motivations, right? It's just wanting to mm, Pay wanting it to forward or Yeah, pay it
0: forward Because you can't pay it back, really You know what I mean? You have to pay it forward, you know?
1: Yeah, and also, uh, again, I guess this is a personal thing But otherwise, what's the point?
0: Yeah um, so, so, I mean, I, I, as a sort of 23-year-old I would have thought, this is impossible This is just a veil of, um, like, civilization you know you know but really people are just in it for themselves and they don't actually do anything for free but now as i get older i'm 27 now Mm. i can start to kind of believe it you know what i mean and what what you're saying is that it is a real thing
1: Mm. it is a real thing but but uh, again my my advice would be don't ask anyone to do it for free um i think that's i don't think that's the right way to do it i have a friend um who um she studied. She's she's a an MA student from from a very good university in the UK, and decided at I think thirty eight, thirty nine, that she was going to study again, go back to school um, for psychology. And I remember talking to her about uh, her experience doing that. She's now a fully fledged um, uh, behavioural therapist, and she said it's very important that you charge money. Whatever, the, whatever that money is, right, it's very important that you charge money because then it is understood that this is a transaction. Um, that there's, no, there's no emotional responsibility here. There's no... There, there, it is, this is a clean transaction, right? I, I will give you the best of my advice, the best of my time uh, in exchange for... Um, i providing my service in exchange for some kind of fee, even nominal. Uh, otherwise, the line gets blurry. Um, and I think it's important that the line doesn't get blurry um you can you can avoid the line getting blurry in lots of different ways you can give somebody a piece of the business in exchange for their for their for their their, their energy their time their experience or you can pay them but i think it's important to offer something uh, not to ask for something for free if it is then offered for free different conversation although again on balance um i would advise make it worth their while somehow mm-hmm. um You'll get a better result because at the end of the day, yes, we're, we are all human. Um, especially if they're not, they're not formally associated with the business in any way. Yeah. yeah because they want to feel that connection, right? If you, if you, have, a, if you have a cause that you, you stand a great chance of making a dent in, and I want to be involved in that somehow... I will offer my time, I'll offer my experience in order to be able to say, to be part of the story, right? And be able to say, you know, I, I'm proud that I was able to support this business that, that has solved this particular problem. It's difficult for me to to claim involvement if there's no record of my involvement. Yeah. Other than a, a, a conversation in the pub, once yeah. every four weeks. Yeah. Um, so that's also appealing as well. I think it's important to offer something. Uh, so at the moment, you
0: are director of Where's My Transport? Yeah. Um But also you do other sort of like almost freelance advisory roles for for startups all over, or was that another part of your life?
1: No, 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 no. I still do that. Um, Yeah, I very much still do that, yes. Um, I don't do it... um In London, I had a much bigger network than I do um, in Cape Town. Uh, I came here specifically for Where Is My Transport. The the business was at an extremely exciting point when I joined. And so the first 12 months was very much about Where Is My Transport. Um, With Acro, I've had exposure to startups. I've been able to share some of the the experience. I still work with a couple of businesses in France. um, And... uh, where I lived for a while Um, and so I still have a a decent network there and and people that I still talk to and advise um, who are both actually the the two I'm thinking of are they both run their own companies now Um, and then down here yeah on an informal basis Uh, my partner runs a business uh, I have friends down here who run businesses uh, and with Where's My Transport there's never a boring day Uh, so I'm, I'm still yeah, I'm still finding value as the older head uh, in the business. I'm not the only one, but I'm still finding value there.
0: And, and has it looked like that the, the, the beginning of the relationship? Um, does a startup come to you, or do you go to them, or do you, and, either and either at the moment? Do you the, the ones that you do advise on a regular basis now, kind of under your umbrella, are they um, all are they all tied together with like social impact
1: or? Um, no, uh, actually they're not, that's a really good question. Um, no, they're not. Uh, they are based on either friendship or ambition, uh, or yes, sometimes on mission. Uh, one, a, a good way, although again, less. So in London, if you were to stand up in a place like this, Acro, and, and give a talk on something in the evening, uh, a talk on something that's valuable to the startups in the cohort, I was part of startup bootcamp in London, for example. Um, the phone doesn't stop ringing afterwards, right? You're offering you're offering what is effectively free advice and a free experience, and the phone rings. Uh, your your email goes, the phone goes, and you will find yourself very very busy uh, with the cohort during the, here. Much less people are much less forthcoming here. Uh, people are much more nervous about picking up the phone uh, and calling. It's a circular problem because the one of the reasons that young particularly young entrepreneurs but entrepreneurs uh, at any age at any stage need that support need that advice need that that firepower um that experience is because they don't have enough experience to know how to ask for it um and so they don't know how to ask for it and so even presented with it i think it's often quite difficult for entrepreneurs to know what to ask for uh and also, again, there's the one of the things that I, I work very hard at with all of the groups that I work with. Um, I, we run hackathons with Where Is My Transport uh, all around the world, where we, we put mostly developers but not just developers, urban planners, data scientists, uh, anyone who is interested in improving public transport. We put them all together for two or three days, we pay for the thing. and. Um, and we, we, we coach them through a process of developing solutions to problems uh, in their city.
0: And what Wesmer well, Transport does is, is you uh, help with mapping uh, informal routes of taxis and things and.
1: Yeah, collecting data on. on Modes of transport that we call informal. So um, exactly, in, in Cape Town's Midwest and then you taxes. give it to the
0: government and they can use it for planning, for efficiencies, for synergies. For
1: you can use it for all kinds of things. Um, but yes, oh, okay. one of the thi- one of the things you can use it for is if you are an entrepreneur and you are looking to solve a, a problem which is related to public transport. Then one of the things you are automatically missing is data yeah. on the informal modes because there is awesome. None. Um, okay, uh, and so and so we work with the these entrepreneurs or again I'm thinking of. Um, another accelerator that I worked with in France for a short while uh, and a couple in London in each of those I focus very hard on storytelling pitching communication language understanding how to to tell a story your you, you your background is in music as well you understand the difference between you singing fly me to the moon and uh, and billy holiday singing fly me to the moon <laughs> yeah. yeah um I don't like the song particularly, but uh, a great interpreter, a great singer, a great storyteller will interpret that those same words and that same tune in a way that will move you. Whereas if you hear me do it, it sounds like bad karaoke. Um, and that's the same thing, right? You can tell a story about your idea, your business that will move nobody uh, and you will struggle to convince anybody that it's a good idea. You will struggle to transmit your own belief in your your own idea. You will struggle to raise money. You will struggle to attract the right kind of people, whether those are founders or partners or investors, whereas your business partner or somebody else, I, I, I've seen people who are unrelated to the business altogether in two minutes do a better job of selling the business than the founder who's been working for it for three years. And it's and, and it's a huge missed opportunity and it's something that uh, a lot of particularly technical businesses technical entrepreneurs They skip it because it makes them uncomfortable uh, They don't like standing up and, and and selling a story. It feels salesy. They don't want to feel salesy, right? It's dirty to be mm, salesy. Yeah, yeah. It's dirty to sell your idea <laughs> or they just don't like it They're nervous or they're not articulate or words. Isn't their thing? um and so, and so they just avoid it. They ignore it. Uh, and they focus on the stuff that, that turns them on. So they'll, maybe they'll focus on the, the, the financial model, or they'll focus on the forecast, or they'll focus on the operating model. They'll focus on something else that they know is important. It's on that list. But too many startups skip that storytelling piece. Uh, and the most successful... Jason's a great example of this. They know how to tell a story. Yeah, I they mean, know Jason. how to tell a story. <laughs> yeah, but it matters, right? It matters in life. It doesn't matter whether you're in a bar looking to attract somebody, or you are in a job interview looking to get a job, or you're standing on stage uh, s- selling a, a, a piece of music, or, or a, at a conference. The ability to to, to to craft something from words and from gestures and from the room itself, from the atmosphere in the room itself, and to deliver a message that it does exactly what you want it to do, whether it's a punch or whether it's you're trying to tickle somebody or amuse them or make them laugh or make them cry, the ability to craft something in order to be able to do that on the spot is hugely powerful. People who can do that are attractive. They're attractive people. Um, yeah. For good and for bad, right? Uh, yeah. But but there, there, is, a, there Wolf, is an attraction.
0: Wolf of Wall Street comes to mind, you know.
1: I haven't seen it, but yeah, I'm sure. Um, th- those people tend to be successful people, automatically successful people, because they can sell an idea, they can sell a story. Learning that slightly dark art uh, and applying it to uh, your business, your idea as an mm. entrepreneur is fundamental. Um, and in all of the different models of this that I've worked with in different countries with different entrepreneurs different ages at different stages of development there are very few there's a, there are, there's a handful of unifying characteristics and one of them is that is the ability to pitch to pitch which is storytelling, which is to sell an idea, which is to sell something to somebody else, uh, not in a dirty way, mm-hmm. um, but to convince, to be compelling.
0: So, with the sort of new paradigm of remote pitching, mm-hmm. people are, investors are going to have to invest in companies that they haven't met the founder mm-hmm. of, you know. So, do you think it will benefit people that can't tell the story as well? The fact that the um, investors are focusing mostly on, on the data, I think it'll benefit those
1: people. Um, I'm, I so no because I'm not sure that that new model is really any different from the old model. Um, we investors will still meet uh, prospective companies. They might meet them over Zoom. They might meet them differently, uh, but they'll still meet them. Uh, Those investors who are making decisions largely based on data today will probably continue to make decisions largely based on data. And there are some very strong cases, right, for for investing in a company based on the data. Ignore the human altogether, depending on what you want to do with that company. Um,
0: Maybe at the later stage, you know what I mean?
1: Perhaps. Um, But no, I, I don't think that the ability to to tell a compelling story in three minutes or in 60 seconds it's going to be less
0: valuable in the future no yeah, yeah. It,
1: it never it it's, it has never not been valuable yeah yeah. in, uh, any, in any field yeah, right yeah. the ability to, to be able to, to charm to convince to delight uh, to mm. attract it's important
0: yeah I guess um, well that analogy came to, came to mind before is if, is if you go up to a woman in a bar and you start listing data about you it's probably not going to work <laughs>
1: N- like, no, I own this and, and much. I
0: you know I drive this car. She's not going to. And <laughs> if
1: it does, it's probably for the wrong reason. Yeah, right? exactly. So, um, which is, which is, which is again, is a consideration. If you tell the wrong story, you tell the right story in the wrong way. You're likely to attract the wrong people for the wrong reasons. Um, so, it's, so it's framing.
0: You know, it's yeah, it's giving people a little bit. Well, I guess it's all boiled down to you imagining the pitch from someone else's point of yeah. view. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a performance. Oh. It's a performance. It's a great performance. You know, there are Super Bowl halftime acts that, that tank uh, And there are Super Bowl halftime acts that that, that light light up the place um, And it's a it's a performance. Uh, it's a performance and in the room you can tell the difference Not everybody has a great day every day, but in the room you can tell the difference um, so Yes, a few years ago, I I helped a friend of mine wind a company down. It was the first time that I'd, I'd ever wound a company down uh, properly. I'd, I'd stared that in the face a couple of times, uh, I think as, as, as lots of small business owners do. Um, and that was my first lesson in the choice of founder, your choice of partner, because it's easy in the good times. Um, and at the time, I was again working with musicians working with uh with bands and we were just putting a band together at the same time same six month period um and winding a business down is a is a actually doesn't have to be an unhappy affair uh i don't think uh we i didn't know enough as as much as i would have liked to have known about it when i set out doing it uh i wasn't as helpful as i might have been i now know a lot more about it but, but I, legally, or just know. winding it down, yeah, winding it down legally, uh, letting people go, uh, ceasing to trade, um, and so we did a lot of reading. We had a very good accountant, we had a very good lawyer working with us, um, and yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't a sad story. It wasn't a scandalous story. It was simply a business that had reached the end of its of its current life, and in winding the company down, I learned a lot about the there were three founders, and I learned a lot about the choices they wish they had made uh, had they known at the beginning what they knew by the end and how important it is to to pick the right founders Um, and I think there were two there are two broad lessons that I learned from that and again I think having non-exec a non-exact view on that can be really helpful. Again, like your mum, uh, who, who can you know, who can, who can see into the future of your relationship after meeting your girlfriend, for, you know, for dinner once. Um, same thing, right? Once you've seen a few, you start to spot the patterns, uh, and 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 I and I can certainly do that now. And so I think that was important. And important for two reasons. The first is because if things do go badly, and they will at some point. Nobody who is an entrepreneur gets into it because they will succeed, 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 succeed. You 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 have to expect failure. You almost have to court failure, right? You 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 are taking risks. You are out there. You are pushing it, um, and you understand that failure is a possibility. And so you stare that in the eye a, a lot as a, an entrepreneur. Um, so you need to know that the people who are who are standing shoulder to shoulder with you are the sorts of people. That will not let you down in that situation that you share philosophically you share something strong so that you will fight together and work together in the bad times as well as the good times if that is untested then i think it is likely that at some point you will you'll be in for a headache that you don't need to be in for um it's important to test that early on so that's the first category of of um first criterion of picking a good partner and a good founder the number of businesses that i've worked with that their buddies in college or their buddies at school, uh, or I simply needed something that I couldn't do myself and so I bolted on the first person I knew that I could find who could fill that gap for me. Uh, I don't know how to code, find somebody who can code. Do you want to be part of my my new business? Uh, You can be a co-founder, let's get rich. Um, Rather than thinking carefully or or getting advice about exactly what is up ahead. I worked with a a group called Nova Partners a few years ago in France and I sat in on a couple of pitches um, for investment they they invest in companies and I remember them walking away from a couple of really solid pitches I was young I think I was 27 28 years old uh, and and I was I was amazed I was like, why on earth would you be walking away from this it sounds like a brilliant idea it's going to change the world and uh, I forget the woman's name but she said to me she said we're not going anywhere near that yet they've never failed they haven't failed um and the first time they fail, it's going to be a car wreck, uh, and we don't want to have anything to do with that. Um, and it was really important to them uh, that they were they wouldn't invest in a in a in a founder in a company that hadn't failed yet, uh, because they because that was an important part of of learning. and it wasn't just that, you know, we're talking 20 years ago, but our, that was the part of the conversation that marked me. I was like, okay, that's really, really interesting. Because in, also in France, failure it used to be taboo. Uh, I've not I've not lived and worked in France for a long time, but it used to be taboo. Right? If somebody asked you, how's your tennis game? Um... You could always tell the Brits because the Brits would be like, oh, you know, I play a bit." Um,
0: Self-deprecating.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Just in case, right? You know, um, whereas you never, you'd never, you never hear your your your, your average Frenchman. The average French person would be like, uh, "Yeah, I'm brilliant." Um, <laughs> How
0: long until that backfires? <laughs>
1: uh, but it doesn't, right? Because culturally, it fits. Oh, Okay, um, okay. So failure is a, a little bit of a taboo. You know, to be to be a bit rubbish at something. Um, it wasn't something you, that you said out loud or bragged about uh whereas with with founders with entrepreneurs again in pitches it's important to talk about what you're not good at what's missing um where have you failed what did you learn um and i know that this is this is this is uh, this is Trite now, and um, this is something that everybody says. But I think it's it's not so much in in the pitch and being honest about what you fail. That is thinking about your choice of founder and your choice of partner, so that you are you recognise that this is somebody with whom you would be happy to fail, because it's hard to fail. Um, it's hard. It's emotionally difficult, psychologically difficult. Um, it could be financially difficult. So you need to to pick somebody with whom it would be uh, you would be happy failing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not sure that everybody goes through that process when they're picking uh, somebody that that they need quickly to to bolt onto their business. The other criterion um, is you need the right mix of people. If you've got three guitarists in the band... You're going to struggle, right? Um, yeah. If you have no musical director, you've got nobody who can arrange the song. Uh, you've got... You, you, you're, very, you, you're all multi-instrumentalists, but no one's really good at anything. Uh, you need to pick your team according to what each of you is good at. Um, it's very rare that you'll see... Three seems to be a popular number among founders, right? There often seem to be three founders. I think it's a terrible number for founders, but you often see businesses more... I see businesses more often than not with three founders. But they don't always complement each other. Um, Sometimes you get three sales guys... Uh, so that, that doesn't work either. Um, it's nice that everybody can hustle-hustle because hustle, uh, everybody has to be able to hustle. Uh, even if you're the the engineer and the last thing in the world you want to do is speak with other human beings, um, you'd <laughs> much rather be uh, sat in front of a screen with code. You still need to know how to hustle. You need to be part of the hustle, especially early on. But you don't need to be a sales guy. Um, so I think that's the second important part when when choosing founders is to think very carefully about the mix, the makeup. What do you need in that gang? Because uh, it's a gang. It has to be a gang. What do you need in that gang? Uh, who's, who's the one who's going to be the storyteller, the salesperson? Um, Who is the one that's gonna be the the voice of reason, the pragmatist, probably the ops guy, uh, or the finance? Um, What skills do you need to assemble? It really, really matters. Uh, Because again, if if the point at which you become under pressure, I was gonna say successful, but success means under pressure, right? So the point at which this thing succeeds and you're under pressure, it's very hard then to go and go and fill those gaps. Um, you can, uh, but it's it's something that you. It would be nice if you didn't have to spend your energy doing that it was already part of the gang you already had that in the gang you had anticipated that success and that pressure in the thinking that you put into how you compose your core team Uh, and and then as the the business scales you're constantly thinking about that uh, every new hire certainly up to the first sort of 10 12 people every new hire has to fill a gap uh, has to has to bolt on something important so i think the the choice of founders and the examples that uh, that I that I have um, those that don't sign the prenup. You know That don't think early on about the the legal structure of a business, uh, the division of responsibility, the division of ownership, uh, the division of accountability, and write it down. Again, they say this in the music industry all the time. That, that when bands get together, the first thing you should do is sign a contract. And it's a problem because you know you go to a music lawyer and it'll cost you 1,500 quid. And you don't have 1,500 quid,
0: right? I'm just thinking about my musician friends who own bands and this is yeah. not what they're thinking about. Of like, course
1: not. Of course not. Absolutely not, yeah. Of course not, and they absolutely should be. Um, and it's a, it's a lot of money. If you're, if you're a struggling entrepreneur trying to put your business together and you're, you're counting every penny – to 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 have a lawyer show up and say, look, it's going to cost you thirty thousand, forty thousand rand to put together the shareholder agreements and the contracts that you need just between the two or three of you. You don't have that money to spend, right? You're you're spending that building your product. You're spending that, you know, meeting people. You're spending that elsewhere. Um, mm. But again, I would, it's it's an impossible situation. But I would strongly advise finding a way to do that. Work with a lawyer who who will who will who will defer their fee or who will do something preferential for you. But get that stuff written down early um, because whether it goes extremely well or extremely badly, you're going to wish that you had yeah. gotten that sorted yeah. early on. Uh, um, again, and those are the things that you you, you could ignore that advice um, and that's fine. It's the entrepreneur's prerogative. But, but at least take that advice.
0: Yeah, you're not going to be so individ- individualistic that that's not going to matter. It's always going to matter. Listen to the advice.
1: Then if you consciously decide not to take the advice then you were smart enough at least to gather the right group of people around you who were who were telling you the things that you didn't want to hear so
0: um why is sort of why three such a bad number why is four better or two better
1: i don't know that four is better or two is better three in with three there's a middle child Okay There's a middle child With three um, And if you so don't have Defined roles People They say three's a crowd Don't they That's the oh, yeah. That's the expression Three's a crowd I don't know that it's a bad number um, I just In my experience there, there seem to be a lot of Businesses that have Three founders Not all at the same time Often Actually There, there can often be be Maybe one or two early And then uh, Another one um, A little bit later So they're like fake founders I know several businesses Like that Um the, the, the two businesses I'm thinking of are both in the UK, and it was three colleagues who became friends who left a larger business to set up a, a, a new business together. Um, and I don't think there was a particular reason why it needed to be three. But in each case, in, actually in, in, in one case it was perfect because there was, the, there was the very much the CEO, um, already modelled as a CEO, uh, the perfect candidate for CEO. Um, articulate, confident, lots of energy, very presentable, great communicator, uh, great business sense, strategic thinker, everything you're looking for in a, in a charismatic CEO. And then there was the operations person uh, who, was, who was all about making the machine work properly, the moving parts uh, and then there was the finance person uh, and that they had those three the other business. I think they n- None of them had the confidence to go in alone um, When actually one of them really should have done um, But they didn't complement each other well enough uh, and they weren't Yeah, they weren't three they weren't th- three-thirds of a whole um, which I think was yeah which is what we were saying earlier on it's, it's, an, it's an important criterion right to figure out how you fit together you um, look
0: at a pizza with you know three slices some, some slices yeah. overlapped yeah. and then some pieces of yeah. the pizza were, were left blank yeah. like that kind yeah. of thing
1: yeah. Yeah. but no I don't think it's a bad number um, I'm just it's curious that the and it may just be my own experience but the, the proportionally the number of businesses that I've worked with small businesses entrepreneurs that I've worked with that have a, a trio of founders is high so yeah, I, I'm not the only one. Actually, I think I nicked this off someone else. But this is this is for me is all under the heading of founder's disease, right? So the which is a which is a completely normal phenomenon. Again, you need to be a you need to be just exactly the right mix of arrogant uh, in order to to be able to be a, to be able to be an entrepreneur particularly a successful one Um, you need to have that that self confidence the confidence in your own idea you need to be able to stand up and tell the story fearlessly Uh, but at the same time it's a balance because you also need to be you need to understand that you you don't know everything and you do need advice Um, but yeah it's it's a a mix of it's a mix of arrogance you need to be just the right amount of sociopathic uh, as well in order to be a leader um, and to be compelling, but also compassionate. So the, the, the mix, it's a confusing mix. It must be very confusing to be a, a, a charismatic founder, Apparently, entrepreneur.
0: an ENTJ, you know, is the Myers-Briggs. Yeah. Sort of Oprah one and Steve Jobs is one, I yeah. think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me. I've worked for a couple of very successful, very charismatic uh founders in that mold. I didn't enjoy working for either. Uh, in fact, one I desperately didn't enjoy working for at all. But you can see why it works. Uh, you can see how it works. I don't like it. Uh, and it philosophically it's very, very opposed to who I am and the way I believe is the most successful way to, to organize a group of people to achieve something. But it works uh, you, and, and these are common stories, right? You hear there's a picture of Steve Jobs on the wall behind you, um, yeah. you know, With, with, you, with we, a massive head <laughs> we, hear about, we hear about the Oh, there's Oprah
0: as well There she
1: is, yeah, and we're surrounded Elon, by them Elon um, Musk <laughs> um, Yeah, the, these are sociopathic Slightly psychopathic uh, Undeniably charismatic <laughs> But they are, right? Highly intelligent, uh, high achieving Odd people uh, and the public face that they present, the stories that they tell, the image that they project, uh, in most cases, is, is the one that they intend to project, the image that they know will do the best job for them uh, in growing their business, accelerating their success, whatever it is that they want to do. Uh, Oprah's a really good example. Uh, as a businesswoman, unarguably f- a phenomenally successful, outwardly, the, the picture that she presents her hard edge is something that she trades off. Um, but at the same time, there's this, this, this huge soft, um, there's this huge softness inside as well. That, that is also something that, you know, she's, she's, yeah. she's, it's part of her trademark. Um, so, yeah, founder's disease. Let's get back to founder's disease. Um, so,
0: how YC puts it, or in the YC's sort of, um, you know, videos and things, it might, might have been Sam Altman who said this, but he was like, don't stay in hero mode until you burn out. You know, you need to
1: delegate. It's really, really important, uh, and it is, but it is difficult to do because in the early stages of a business, the decisions you make, succeed or fail, tend to be yours. They tend to be driven by you, directed by you. The risks that you're taking, particularly if you're a sole, a single founder, a sole founder, um, yeah, you live and die by your own decision and you're comfortable with that. Uh, if it's a failure, I'll own it. Um, but I made the decision and I'll learn from it and I'll pick myself up and I'll dust myself up and, and we'll fix the problem and we'll keep going. To allow somebody else to own those failures on your behalf goes completely against the... the, the the instinct for survival that you developed whilst you were fighting for survival uh, in the early stages of a business. One of the places that I I see this this is a soft place to see it, but is in the storytelling. Um, I see founders. So one of the things that I that I'm I've I've taught as you know I've taught pitching here. I, I come in and, and help people uh, learn how to pitch. So I pay attention to that a lot and I see founders struggle with letting somebody else tell the story uh, because it takes time to get the story right. If you've been working for a business that started in your head seven years ago and became real five years ago and there were six of you in the business until two years ago and now all of a sudden you've got a team of people that that are in business development and they're starting to tell your story but they can't go back seven years because they can't go back into your head from seven years ago and they weren't around five years ago and all they really know is what they gathered from the four case studies that you had time to write and put put on the website. Um, and it's it's difficult, right? Um, because because you can't possibly tell the story with the same conviction, with the same passion uh, as a founder. But you have to learn. And so I. it's amusing to see founders in pitches where they have to keep their mouth shut. Uh, because they can't keep their mouth shut.
0: Because, I mean, uh, investors do want to see a of sort of interplay between of people in a pitch. Like, that's your team.
1: Or there is a point in any investment cycle where... Uh, at a point in the due diligence the investors will want to hear it from someone else They've heard it from the founder or the CEO uh, as many times uh, as they needed and now they want to hear it from someone else. They need to know that that this isn't a one-person band um, and that the same conviction, the same energy, the same intelligence exists elsewhere in the business. Particularly if if you're a company which is larger than four or five people, um, then you're looking for that. And so, yeah, it's difficult for the founder to let go, even in a situation like that where someone else is telling the story. They're going to get it wrong and that has to be okay uh, because it's impossible to avoid that. It's a much bigger deal when you are starting to delegate things like finance or operations or product direction, particularly uh, in product businesses, to somebody else uh, without, without hovering in the background constantly, uh, without standing there looming uh, yeah. constantly and, and, and recalibrating decisions constantly. Because you'll hire leaders and you'll spend time and money bringing the right leaders in. But leaders want to be able to lead. Again, I want to be accountable for my mistakes as a leader. Um, If you made a good hiring decision and I know what I'm doing and I make, you know, three out of five decisions that I make are good ones, that's a pretty good hit rate. Um, Then leave me alone. Yeah, you can't undercut them all the time. Don't reconfigure the decisions yeah. that I make. Um, and that's really, really hard to do. And y- y- we lose good people as founders when we, when we hire them and refuse to let them do their job. Um, but at the same time, I've seen it from both sides. I see it constantly from both sides. And, yeah, it's, it, it, is, it is impossibly difficult to to let that go when it's, it's, your, it's your everything. It's your world. Hmm. Um, this is something that you've been thinking about and dreaming about twenty four seven for for years and years and years. Uh, very very difficult to be able to let that go. So yeah, that's 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 one one aspect of founders' disease. So yes, the what we were talking about a little while ago about getting the right kind of advice, surrounding yourself with the right sorts of people. Again, those people will tell you if you are if you're being a founder. Um, They'll help you. Uh, it's, it's, it's important. It's important to have people around you that you trust and that trust you and that, that can be honest with you, particularly if they're not involved in the business day-to-day because they will see something. They will see a story that you tell them four weeks later for what it is Uh, they'll see it through a a neutral lens and be able to tell you okay that's that's founder's disease you need to you need to be able to let that go and here's how to do that safely or here's how to do that so that it hurts a bit less uh, or here's how to do that and reduce the risk so again back to this idea of, of this group of advisors and it doesn't have to be a large group but who can who will be honest with you and 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 tell you straight what your team cannot because they are either too close to it or too emotionally involved and your family cannot because they know you in a different context. This role is a a very, very important role. Um, Talking about how how businesses scale, um, money, I mean, that's the first first problem with scale. It costs money to scale. Um, And so from very, very early on, it's important to spend money on the right things. Um, Your business partner Jason once told me that the very first money he raised he banked he didn't touch it Um, He put it in the bank and he forgot about it Uh, that it wasn't to spend Um, And I love that story because it's a I see that a lot strong Strong founders with strong ideas. That's what they do with their money. They don't spend it Um, When you scale you are it is an investment. There is an investment in scale and understanding what to invest in and why, um, and at what stage is very very important. Uh, and so that's one of the ways that experience can help. You also need a profound understanding of the business uh, and the mission and the ambition and the and the, the two three year plan. But it is also important to have a to take a hard line with where you do and don't spend money. One of the things that I have I've I learned to my cost and now will do automatically is get the basics right get the fundamentals in place so for example finance finance is often finance management is often something that unless you've got somebody in your founder group that understands finance um, well enough to to take it to have a good stab at accounts early on Finance tends to be something that that, that gets messy quite quickly. Um, and before you scale and before you take any serious investment, it has to be straight. Uh, and so those sorts of hygiene factors in a business like finance, um, finance is the big one. So we're talking basic um, accounting and budgeting. Basic accounting, budgeting, bookkeeping, uh making sure that the last 6, 12, 18, 24 months are in order, making sure that you are on top of the numbers, that you understand what they mean, that there is somebody in the business who can read those numbers. Um, and I don't mean read the bottom line. I mean, look at a spreadsheet and understand the story that it's telling you. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the management hygiene, but also the interpretation of those numbers somebody who is able to wrap their ha- their arms around finance and sort it out before it's too late a lot of businesses wait too long uh, and then it's either a scramble as part of due diligence because you don't have what you need in order uh, to be able to tell the story or you make it you make it as far as you need to um, and then realize that scale is impossible or scale is messy and expensive uh, if you're financial management isn't in order so those sorts of basics are, are important and again it, scale is an exciting time a business is usually doing well uh, a, a product has proven market fit and we're we're ready to hit the gas and no one wants to look at that the boring stuff right it's worked for us so far it's all in the CEO's head we'll be fine um, yeah you're laughing because it's true um, <laughs> uh, And. But it needs to be in order, right? These are foundation stones um, that are important in order to build on those. Um, So, yeah, that sort of thing I think is important. Business development is something else um, that I think before... Typically, there's one good salesperson, and often it's the CEO. Um, That doesn't scale, um, depending on what your product or your service is. So business development is, is another... You can't just build a sales team, it doesn't work like that. Um, every product is different, every service is different, the culture of the business matters enormously, the relationship with the clients that's been built up over time. You can't simply scale business development by hiring a bunch of sales people. Um, there is, a, there is a, a, a often a huge amount of work that needs doing in order to prepare a business development organization for scale. And so those fundamentals, I think, are important. They, they vary from business to business, but um, Working with somebody that can understand what those fundamentals are and how to organize them. Um, Operations is a little bit easier in my experience. Um, There are, you can hire an experienced operations person or take experienced operations advice with less knowledge of the business um, in order to be able to, to. to organize operations to be ready for scale. Um, But those hygiene factors, all of them, including operations, they are important to put into place because if you don't have that stuff working well, um, when you do begin to accelerate, when you do begin to grow, bits of the business will start to shake themselves apart. um, And that matters for lots of reasons not least of which you will lose people Uh, and that is a very very expensive loss Um, Um, employees or um, clients both yeah um, Um, yeah, customers customers and and employees yeah Um, because again making that transition from a a small business so 12-15 heads total to a medium-sized business anything up to 80 90 100 150 heads and then to a large business those those inflection points those 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 growth spurts um, that's where that's where typically businesses lose a lot of people um, for all kinds of reasons not just because the 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 fundamentals aren't correct but yeah before before one scales it is important to get that stuff in place uh, and make sure that the make sure it's operating properly and it's solid and it will survive an attack mm-hmm. Yeah, it will survive scrutiny. Will we'll,
0: we'll survive the wind damage of the higher speeds, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the other, um, so another um, important aspect of scaling is um, diversity as you scale. Yes, diversity, diversity before you scale. Um, oh yeah. So
1: build diversity into the business. Diversity of every kind. Diversity um, of color, the diversity of gender, diversity of thought, thinking, experience. Uh, age, uh, every kind of diversity. Build it, build diversity in as soon as you can into the team. Um, it is much harder to build in later. So tech businesses, the few tech businesses that I've worked with, pure tech businesses, so engineering founded, uh, and the product is uh, an engineering product, they can often be boys clubs still today very hard to break that later in the the evolution of the business break it early Um, not because you should but because it's a very very good idea to do that Um, it's a very good idea to introduce diversity of thinking creative diversity Uh, people in the team who are who will ask the stupid question because they don't know that it's stupid Uh, who will bring an idea to the table that that doesn't belong and that's the point Um, Those ideas deserve to be at the table. The creative conversation that you need to have, particularly if you're in a jam, um, require those kinds of ideas, require that kind of thinking. So again, that's something that introduced to a business that is... Prepping for scale um, or actually prepping for investment in order to be able to scale. So at that stage in the development where you're maybe looking to raise your first price round or moving to, to a place where the business is, is less a, a gang with a great idea and more a business um, becoming more formalized that is exactly the right time to introduce diversity, to force it if you have to, um, because you will be weaker without it uh, very, very quickly. And so um, that is also something, again, I I can think of... I think nearly every business I've worked with could have done a better job of that. Um, And actually nearly every business I worked for uh, could have done a better job of that. Um, And there are very good reasons for that. So London is, is perhaps... An exception. The world is in London, so it's it's not difficult to. It's less difficult in London. Um, I worked a lot in the creative space, and and where you stand a better chance of getting a more diverse team or a more diverse experience in London. It doesn't mean it always works out, but um, you stand a, a better chance, and that's and that's super important. Those teams are stronger, and those businesses are stronger um, for that diversity. So I think yeah, before scale. Introduce diversity, force it if you have to, um, because it is much harder to introduce that later, and the business will be mu- much weaker for it. Mm. Yeah. If you don't curate your culture, it will happen without you. You know, it all. Yeah, or or, or it, it beds itself in without you. Uh, you're paying attention to something else, and all of a sudden, you you find out that actually, you are resistant to that kind of yeah. development, yeah. Uh, and you didn't mean to be. This is an impossible ask. Or um, well perhaps it's an impossible ask, but one should ask it anyway. Make sure everybody in the business can tell the story I've heard that before. Right, okay, good, so I'm not going crazy. Um, yeah, make sure everyone in the business can tell the story. Um, and maybe'll they'll they'll, they'll, they can't tell it the way the founder tells it. they can't you know they can't hold a room. Uh, In for, suspense for, for, <laughs> for forty minutes with it. That doesn't matter. But make sure everybody can tell the story. Make sure everybody can tell the story. Make sure everybody can hustle with that story. Um, and yeah, the, the 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 number of accelerators um, that I I have worked I've worked as part of the program that leave pitching until the very end, just before demo day. They do a little bit on pitching, um, which is nuts because. A lot of the the folks in the cohort, they've never done that before. They've never stood up in a room full of people. Hell, they've never sat in a room like this with six chairs in it and, and pitched their idea. an an unfriendly group right? because every group is unfriendly to begin with Um, and they've never done it and you're asking them to you've spent three months coaching them and looking after them and putting them up and giving them and and teaching them about finance and marketing and and business development and operations and helping them develop their ideas and you leave it right until the last minute uh, to teach them how to perform you've given them all of the content and they have to put it all together. They have to edit it together at the last minute and then perform this thing all by themselves. Uh, it's crazy. And so it is part of scale. Uh, it's important. It's an important part of scale that everybody can, can tell the same story, that everybody can tell the one story. Um, but I think more fundamentally, it's, it's an important part of the growth of any business from zero, from idea uh, in founder one's head, um, to wild success in the world is that that story is straight and compelling and performed in the right way. It's sort of um,
0: the north star that the company follows. You know? They
1: talk about that. I've heard that. Yeah, this is our north star. I, I've heard north star more with metrics. So our north star yeah, yeah, metric yeah, yeah, is no, you know we're measuring but this. Um, no, I, th- I think it's yeah. I think it's I think it's more than that. Um, I think it's more than that. I think it's it is a it is an essential component of the success of a business is the ability to tell that story in a clear compelling concise also way. I spent a short a time working in San Francisco and it's true what they say. You can hang out in the lobby uh, of the hotel and you can hear these conversations going on, right? You hear, you hear entrepreneurs pitching investors in the lobbies of hotels. It's true. Um, and yeah, your, your idea is not unique. (laughs) Um, I worked with, um, a group of, uh, guys from Marseille in the South of France, uh, who were going to, um, Silicon Valley as part of a, a, a delegation, all startups, all entrepreneurs, and I remember as part of the coaching, they were saying, you know, we're going to get investors to sign NDAs before we, before we pitch our ideas. And it's like, yeah, no, you're not. Um, yeah. No, no, one <laughs> will, no one will sign an NDA because your idea doesn't matter. Uh, so your idea you
0: could, is worthless. Uh, by asking them that, you'll show your, your small timiness.
1: Exactly. Um, you are your brand, uh, and as an entrepreneur, you are your your brand one hundred percent. I have to believe you. Um, if you believe your idea, that makes your idea stronger. Uh, even if it's not a particularly good idea or it's not an idea that particularly resonates with me if you are knowledgeable and intelligent and articulate and you believe this and you can tell a story to support your belief in this and you can paint a picture of the success that you expect to have because your idea is so good and the the whole thing is so compelling i'm not made of wood i'm buying I'm listening, you know. I'm emotionally yeah. affected by that. Of course it matters. Uh, and so yeah, that's that's something that it, the 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 number of people in the business who are able to sell that story, who are able to speak with the, the same energy and passion and tell the same compelling story that the founder can tell, the stronger the business will be, uh, especially in preparation for scale. Um, if you are scratching around for people to put up in front of potential investors to tell the story, that's not a strong business mm-hmm. it doesn't matter whether you've got 15 or 50 people in that business, it's not a strong business if you're struggling to find, if it's always the same 2 or 3 people telling the story um, so again, in preparation for scale, I think that's also an important um, linked to, to this pitching idea which again still mystifies me that, um, more more early stage businesses don't spend more time thinking about the storytelling piece mm.
0: ok, shall we do the questions
1: Those. Um... let's do the questions, yeah
0: Okay, okay, so um, Julian's um, elected to do the medium-fire round of ten questions. Medium-fire? Yeah, this is a medium-fire one. Th- there's As a, opposed to rapid. There's a rapid-fire one okay. coming. All right, okay. Um, which current developments give you hope for the future of humankind?
1: Oh, which... say it again.
0: Which current developments give you hope for the future of humankind?
1: Bi- I think bi- bio... what they call biohacking yeah the ability to to solve problems physiological problems using technology so exoskeletons that can help people who can't walk walk um, it's like gro- bionic eyes bionic ears gro- growing livers growing livers yeah all that sort of stuff awesome. I know that that's a that's a that's a controversial one right because there's a line in there somewhere where there are things we really shouldn't be doing uh, uh, to some people but I think the that's a whole uh, other podcast <laughs> it's a whole other podcast I remember I remember working um, a few years ago not not that many years ago three, three or four years ago with a company that made hearing aids uh, and they were explaining to me that there are there are the future of hearing aids is actually augmented hearing it's n- never mind replacing what you like it's augmenting what you already have. So you take a perfect ear, and maybe you can hear thunder in the heavens, right? Uh, you can hear thunder in the atmosphere that you can't hear with the naked ear, but you plug one of these things in, and you can hear that's thunder in the atmosphere. That sort of thing,
0: yeah. It's literally a cyborg
1: literally a cyborg Get biohacking i mean yeah, it's, okay. it's uh, there are lots of there's, there's a huge debate about this i was asked a question about biohacking at a, a dinner party deliberately at a dinner party it was a it was a networking event dinner party and um they were saying you know would you wouldn't you uh, uh would you if you knew you couldn't take it back so would you have something all, all, all technically augmented so like your hearing mm-hmm. i think the first question was what would you what would you hack what would you biohack if you could and i said my hearing mm-hmm. um and then the question was, would you still do it if you knew you couldn't take it back, if you couldn't reverse the procedure? Um, and my answer was yes. So, yes. I think, the, yeah, developments in, in, in biohacking, including genetic science, I think is, is exciting. Yeah. Do you want me to give a one-word answer to that?
0: No, 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 no. That okay. was great. Um, okay. This is medium fire, you know, so it's… Okay, all right. Name something you would advise super early-stage founders to cultivate super early. Network. Total recapitalization or shut the company down and start another? Shut the company down and start another. What's the first good business book that comes to mind? The Design of Everyday Things. Intelligence or
1: relentlessness? Ooh. Do I have to choose? Um, I think history would probably answer relentlessness. I think I would probably answer intelligence, but I'm wrong. Um, most people just say rel-
0: relentlessness. Yeah (laughs) Um, What's the best piece of advice you've received?
1: Um, It's a piece of advice I receive all the time Uh, Yeah, you're wrong Yeah, from people I trust (laughs) The best piece of advice I've ever received is you're wrong from someone I trust What's your favourite
0: material object you own? I don't ask this one to everyone because it's like, it's a bit bit weird But for me it's my, um, for for me it's, it's an heirloom, you know yeah, grandpa's. So I've actually got two grandpas: a rich one and a poor one. And the poor one got the same watch as the rich one bought himself, but the poor one got it from working for Shell for thirty years, right. and the rich one just bought it.
1: So yeah. And I've got both watches. Yeah, so, so funny enough, the very first thing I was going to say was my grandfather's watch. Um, oh, wow. Watch. Yeah, interestingly. Yeah, really weird. Um, that's, so what I thought, in, I, I didn't know, and then I thought, what would my family say? And that's what my family would say. It's the thing that I carry around the world with me. Um, the <laughs> I guess. Favorite mater- no, you know what it is? I have a, um, the favorite, my favorite material thing that I own, it's a first edition uh, P.G. Woodhouse book that my mother bought me. Uh, Years and years ago.
0: Awesome. Not Jews and Worcester.
1: Uh, It's not Jews and Worcester, no. Damn.
0: That's my favourite. I love Jews and Worcester. (laughs) Um, Stephen Fry is a personal hero. Um, If you weren't involved in startup land, what would you be doing? Music,
1: which is still startup land of a kind.
0: Yeah. yeah. uh, yeah. Elon or Bezos? Who thinks a better entrepreneur?
1: As in, as in, uh, sorry to be a pain, but measured by what?
0: Yeah, it's a big. It's that's the, that that, yeah. that that's the fun thing because it's yeah. such a. There's so yeah. much. They're Bezos. Like, they're, they're quite opposites, you they know. Are, I mean? but yeah. It, yeah. Everyone always says Elon, but I always remind them, look, Bezos. Like, yeah, Read Bezos. that book, you know.
1: Yeah. Bezos. You know
0: um, yeah. what was the book called? It's called um, the Everything Store. Read the Everything Store. Yeah. If you could have any three founders, dead or alive, over for dinner, who would they be?
1: Ford, for sure. Um, John Adams.
0: That's funny, because um, Jason said Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> you know. Um,
1: oh, sorry, I mean Franklin, yeah. I beg your pardon, I don't mean Adams, I mean Franklin. Oh, yes, okay. Yes, yes, I mean Franklin, yeah.
0: You know, no, I would get along with him yeah. as well. <laughs> um,
1: Franklin... Ford and um, I don't know whether Da Vinci would count as a founder. Probably not, but um,
0: but uh, an experimenter, a inventor, yeah, or, yeah, you know,
1: yeah, that's a cheat though. Um, that's a cheat. no, da no, Vinci no. no. I cheat. guess
0: no, no, that's fine because okay. uh, for me, this question means who would you like? Who would be entertaining as well? And not yeah. just okay. who can I gain the most financial like so Ford strategy out of
1: Ford, Franklin, Da Vinci. Okay,
0: so um, the next round is ten yes or no rapid-fire questions. Okay. There'll be a million people on Mars before we die. No. Work-life balance.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you say to this, you're damned. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know, right? Yeah. Despite what everybody who knows me would tell you,
0: yes. Well, what she's going to say is it depends depends on what part of life you're in. Uh,
1: No, I don't think it does. I think you either are or you aren't. But it depends on the balance, right? I mean, um, what what I call balance, you may not call balance. Um, But yes, uh, yes.
0: The earth is definitely flat.
1: (laughs) Of course it's flat.
0: (laughs) This statement is not, not a double negative. It is. That was a bit unfair to put you on the spot like that. It, it was <laughs> <laughs> Trump is a poor man's rich man
1: ooh uh, Trump is a poor man's rich man um, because if
0: you think about tech founders I mean Trump isn't even close you know like the most average
1: I once heard a, a years ago in, in music I once heard somebody say if you want to make a, a the film star look small stand up next to a rock star uh, all film stars want to be rock stars so yeah in the, in the same vein then yeah Would you give up your eyesight to keep your hands?
0: No The iPod was more revolutionary than drones have been or ever will be No People should give up shaking hands forever No One day humans will not age past their prime Gotta be yes or no, right? Yeah No Okay, well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast
1: You're welcome, thank you for having me That was great.